Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gate, ready to go. OutKick 360 is back. Friday edition is here. Bobby Carpenter will be here with us in hour number three. Looking forward to chatting with him. Plus, Brent Hubs of AllQuest.com a bit later to talk SEC and Tennessee headlines. NIL uh, amongst the conversation. We'll get into that in about 20 minutes. Uh, A lot going on today as we get you ready for the big sports weekend. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I am pumped up, ready to go. The moment we thought the NCAA was dead, they make their last stand, and they are ready to fight once again. Paul, how are you? Hey, now. Well, um, seems crazy, this NIL stuff, and um, we're going to un- unwrap it as best we can because uh, it's, it's complicated. I don't think it's that complicated. It's like life. We'll get into it. It's uh, like life. It's complicated. I, I see a powerless organization trying to make a grasp for power that they're going to end up losing in the long haul. I've got a theory as to why. And uh, there are clear battlegrounds that are being drawn in the stand uh, in, the, in the sand of uh, uh, lines that you will either cross over or you will not. There will be the haves and the have-nots. Let me uh, just give a little preview to our discussion coming up. These college administrators that are complaining to the NCAA, wanting them to enforce rules and do something. I'm guessing they're not from Tennessee, Texas A&M, Miami, uh, some other programs that have been ahead of the curve when it comes to NIL. I think these are programs that are have-nots or that have fallen back a bit because they have not been as proactive with this. But we'll talk more about it coming up. Are the Chicago Bears failing Justin Fields? That'll be a discussion. He's the rookie quarterback from last year. We don't talk a lot about. Just kind of lost in the shuffle amongst all the discussion amongst young quarterbacks. Justin Fields doesn't get a lot of discussion. He was at this time last year. And fast forward 12 months, what are the Bears doing around him with the new regime? We'll discuss that as well. Uh, Crazy sports night last night. Mets are down, what, eight, seven or eight in the ninth inning, come back and win? I think it was seven to one. They scored seven. They won eight to seven. It was seven to one going to the ninth. So down six, scored seven. Preds lose in overtime as Colorado takes a 2-0 series lead in the Stanley Cup playoffs in in that first round. Um, Game three of the Warriors and the Grizzlies will be tomorrow uh, in, in San Francisco. So we've waited, what, four, four days since game two, no Dylan Brooks in this. He's been suspended for game three. Looking forward to that. That'll be appointment viewing. A lot of rain in the Northeast. Baseball games getting canceled. Yanks already out. I think another game or two already canceled. So a lot of doubleheaders tomorrow on Saturday baseball. So Steve Kerr talking about this game three matchup and said, um, you know, was asked about, have you matched the physicality and the aggression in this series? And, and he said, yeah, I think I have. And they, they asked a follow-up. And he said, well, you know, we're, we're staying consistent with we're going to challenge for every loose ball, challenge for every rebound, 
play tough and physical, compete on every possession, and not risk someone's career when we hit them. That's pretty consistent with our team. Now, Grizzlies people are pissed off about this, saying that he continues to cry over it. I don't blame Steve Kerr on this one. Uh, and he, he talked about you know uh, Peyton, who's out, and said, here's a guy in his sixth year. He's battling. He's kind of toiling in the, in the NBA right now. He's got a bigger role. And uh, a, a dirty play that resulted in an ejection and a guy suspended for a game. He's going to be out for a really long time. That's what he said. He's not playing the rest of this season. This isn't Grizzly no, specific they, for me. They, they've already discussed that he could be back for the finals. Well, he's saying he's out for a very long time, is what Steve Kerr said today. The headline yesterday was, we could see him back for the NBA Finals with a fractured elbow, which I don't understand. But they think he could be back by the... That well, tells you how long the playoffs go. Well, yeah, then Steve Kerr's right. definition of really long time is different from my I definition of really long time. I think I read four to six. What? Weeks. Yeah, so, I, I mean, that puts them... That'd You're be right. Finals. It defines yeah. how long the, 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 the headline the yesterday are. was we could see him back coming off the bench for the NBA Finals. This is not Grizzlies-specific, uh, but it annoys me more maybe because it's the Grizzlies. But fans' willingness to defend their guy, why can't you just say, like, look, I, I love this team, but my guy went overboard here. And it resulted in an injury well, that if it happened to my team, I'd be furious about it. So I understand. We've also seen Draymond Green take his fair share of, sure. of cheap shots. But he um, hasn't knocked Steve, anybody. Uh, we've we've out. seen Draymond Green take his fair share of, of cheap shots. So you know, Steve Kerr is also known for being physical. He fought Michael Jordan in a practice. Um, this is him just taking up for his team and and lobbying the refs to uh, get the same type of result <laughs> in Game Three. But the consequence is unquestionably worse here in that his guy's out for a long stretch and the Grizzlies haven't lost anybody for a long stretch. So it's not, yeah, but he has no, it's not even Steve Kirk needs to, he needs to stop whining. The suspension was handed down. I don't, I don't yeah, know well, why they he's play upset. tonight. Once they play tonight, it's over. He's, but, he's but, back in his guys. I mean, I think you'd see the same. No, there's no more the, reason the to complain to preach about it. If the, if Dylan Brooks was not suspended, then you can stand on a podium and act like you know things are getting on a hand. You need to treat this both ways because Draymond Green would have been. But the fact that, that Dylan Brooks was suspended for Game 3, he has no other reason to, to cry about it now. I would continue to bring it up just like Steve Kerr to piss my own guys off about it because it would not sit right with and me. And to be in the officials' hands. And, and yeah, and, and to both. I mean, officials, they lobby. These coaches lobby all the time with officials and press conferences. I would continue to hammer it home, hoping I'm going to get some more calls in this series that goes on. Uh, talk about how, you know, he's pumping up uh, Peyton as a bigger uh, role player on this team than he really was. Also, I think that's part of it. But I got no problem with that. And I'm not sure that I would define Steve Kerr as fighting Michael Jordan as much as getting punched by Michael <laughs> Jordan during an altercation. There's a big well, difference. I'm not, I'm not lining Steve Kerr up as one of the more physical guys in his NBA no, playing but days. I, I don't he think didn't he's, run away from getting punched. I don't think he's some finesse now, player either. Now, uh, Draymond Green is a, a dirty player. Um, I can't think of a time where Draymond Green did something to jeopardize someone the way Dylan Brooks did, but the culmination of Draymond Green's career, it's fair to say to Steve Kerr, I mean, you got a guy on your team that you know, is uh, another ejection away from being suspended for the playoffs because of how many times he's been suspended and had, had received technicals in games. So I, I do understand that part of it. But I think he's honestly, I think, his feelings, I think his feelings are hurt too. A little bit. I think he's legitimately angry. And when you watch the press conference and see his face and his reaction to it, I think that it's not completely settled with him yet and probably won't be until this series continues for a couple more games. 
This is going. This is going deep. I hope so. I think so too. And it's. I hope the physicality stays. Um, Draymond's going to come back firing. So I mean, if, if Kerr wants to draw attention to the physical play, I think it ultimately hurts the Warriors because Draymond is the one that left with a bloody nose and a lip and a black eye the other day with the stitches on his face, and um, is sitting at the uh, the podium contemplating what Game Three is going to be like. Well, and not only Game 3, but I'm also got an eye at Game 4 in San Francisco when Dylan Brooks returns because there's going to be a lot of talk from the league about, hey, let's not escalate this to the point where it could escalate. We, we've seen this a lot in baseball. You know, you get into the bean wars where you're going back and forth and throwing at guys. You're going to see some of that in this series where I don't know that's going to work, but I would think that the league is going to have a conversation with both teams, but specifically the Warriors, to say, hey, we suspended him for a game. Because of what he did, we all admit that it was wrong. We don't need any big retaliation in this next game and getting guys suspended. And if you do, it's going to be two games. Or you're going to get a game also, regardless of what it is. I don't know how those conversations happen, but I'm willing to bet that it will take place before game four when Dylan Brooks returns. Especially if there's any residue tonight uh, out, out of anything. Out of, what out happens tomorrow. tonight? Tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. Sorry. Um, Out of the next by game. the way, uh, there are NBA games tonight. Yeah, it's crazy that there's not a game last night. Yeah. It got a stagger. But also, I'm watching the Preds on TNT last night. And uh, I don't know that it, it, either it's perfect timing or I'm sure that it was balanced out that way where TNT had their hockey night on the night there's no NBA. So it balanced out well. for It's perfect for TNT is my point. Was, they go what? NBA – Hockey, NBA. It was their the, off night. It, the, it, was, it would have been the ESPN night. Were the Preds on what they were supposed to be on between TBT, TNT and TBS? Because my Comcast had it screwed up, if so. I have only watched the national broadcast. I watched uh, ESPN and then TNT last night. Yeah. My, my thing said it was supposed to be on TBS, and I was waiting for that game. Um, and then it seemed to start late. Did they hold it for a game? Well, you sound like one of the callers we would uh, we used yeah. to get about. What, what channel oh. was it on? <laughs> well, I was, following, I was following my guide, and it wasn't where my guide said it was going to be. But I was flipping between the two stations. But then it started late, didn't it? It was supposed to be 8.30, and it seemed to start at like 8. So, well, broadcast starts at 8.30. Yeah, I mean, completely they, disregard. Uh, start time. Because st- it's always like 8.47 when it says 8.30. Yeah, I hate that. They have the game that runs over. Then they have a little bit of a pregame, and then they go into to the game, which is always later. Much better showing. Uh, Kentucky Derby's this weekend. Hey, how about that? I didn't even know. Me neither. When, when, uh, and I love this event. I love the pageantry. I love the spectacle of it. Paul hates pageantry. I love it. I love watching this event and the build-up to it. Yeah, the two minutes. Uh, but I really am having a hard time this year for whatever reason getting overly excited about even recording it and watching some of it. I don't schedule for it. Like if I ha- and I probably won't be in front of the TV this week. If I happen to be, then I'll call to the family and we'll watch the two minutes. But uh, as I contemplated this while it was on, on the rundown, I did think this. Like, I wonder if you guys agree. I, I don't know if the 50s is the right decade, m- maybe the 40s. I wouldn't mind living like a, a summer in that era when boxing and horse racing and baseball ruled the day just to see what that's like in an entirely different sports landscape where getting the result of the fight or the build-up to the big race was the big thing because there's those two sports in particular have just 
I mean, it's hard to imagine a world where that was import, as important as it was. Now, boxing was still important when I was a kid in the 70s and the 80s before it completely went away. But horse racing was never a big deal in my lifetime, born in 1969. I, I would much that, rather... That it carried the country. I would much rather um, be a horse person than live in that era. Like, that whole world fascinates me. The big money horse farm people that are really into it and know it inside and out. I mean, if you go to you know, any racetrack and you watch people and how they uh, – I've been to Keeneland once. I'm no expert. But it is fascinating to watch the people that know what they're doing at a horse race that are around horses and know what to look for. Uh, I've, when I go to those tracks, I, I feel like, man, I really wish I was into this more. I wish I knew more about it, and I wish I had the money yeah. uh, to invest in a racehorse and actually own a racehorse. Speaking of the Kentucky Derby, by the way, this is a buddy of mine sent me this. This is a column from Pat Forty, okay, who lives in Louisville. And uh, his tweet says, Column, my old Kentucky home is inextricably linked to the Kentucky Derby. A deeply researched, unflinching new book by Emily Bingham offers a full vetting of the song's dark etymology. Know what you're singing, Derby goers. And it goes into my old Kentucky home being a racist song. Here's my question. If you don't know something is racist, is it really racist? There's not one thing. I have, I have read the column, and I've read every word in the song. And unless you're telling me that the person that wrote this song is racist, which, by the way, newsflash, everyone from a past era is racist in some way. That, that's how the world works and evolves. I, I, I would love to see the big board of what we're canceling next. That's what I'd like to ask Pat Forty. I don't know if he has that big He's in board. charge of that. Does he have the thing like Jerry Jones showing the Cowboys draft board? Can someone show me our next canceled list so I just know what to prepare for? Because my old Kentucky home was not on my list and my draft board of what to cancel. Well, the question you're asking, though, here's the question I'd ask in return. If the song is, in fact, you're saying your reading of it doesn't lend to, to the conclusion that they conclude. If it, if it did... Would you feel different about it? No, then? no. If I mean, if 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 it was something that everyone I knew my whole life with of one race is offended by it because it's so racist, yeah, that would affect me. I, I I don't know one person. This woman Emily Bingham wrote a book where she researched it, and now she's telling the world that it's racist. Well, if you have to tell someone, hey man, this cup of water right here is racist that I'm holding up right now, and I've got the research and the history to show you that. Well, if I didn't know that, you are presenting racism in the world that didn't previously exist. So what are we doing? So now we're gonna, uh, people are going to be uh, up in arms over my old Kentucky home and the singing of it at the Derby? We're supposed to think differently about it if you go to the race? I just don't, uh, again. I don't think that's changing. We've gone too far with this. And Pat Forty, quite frankly, goes too far all the time. Uh, he's uh, a wacky at well, this it's point. A, it's like those who want to change the name of the Masters. Because it's a you know the, the name the Masters uh, in Georgia. I mean, we're we're just gonna have uh, a time where people just don't say anything. Like ev every right. word comes from something possibly bad. It's ridiculous. There are things though that were uh, contextual for their time and have outlived their time, so to speak. And I don't think it's terrible to reconsider some of those. Well, like, like what? Like what? Give an example. Well, like I'm not for uh, sandblasting the name of 
Confederate people off of buildings, but I am, I do think it's appropriate to put up a plaque there that, that gives you the history of how that building came to be, maybe, and where the money came from. Well, that, that is different than what we're discussing. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the honoring uh, Confederates is different than going back and looking at the root of a song that no one linked to racism and then saying that it's racist. After the fact, I, I think those are two different things. And also, now look, I'm also not someone who, uh, you know, is so worked up about it that I'm going to fight it. But, you know, once everybody decides that my old Kentucky home is racist, that I'm going to, you know, get a T-shirt that has all the words of the song on, on my and wear it everywhere I go because I'm going to fight against it so much. I just think that we're reaching at this point for some things, and I think that column is one of them. Well, like you're saying, you're you're saying what's next, right? Yeah. Coming up. I think uh, honoring Jefferson Davis or having a Jefferson Davis Day in a town, the president of the Confederacy, uh, that's something that may need to be examined by that town and looked at. I think my old Kentucky home is just fine. Yes. And I'm, I'm, I never sing it, but I'm going to be fine with people singing it and NBC showing it tomorrow. Coming up, um, the, we don't, you're asking what's next. With my old Kentucky home. I thought you were about to say, we don't talk about Bruno, because that song is stuck in my head from Encanto. It's a Disney movie that my daughter watches nonstop oh. from Encanto. Hutton's going to know these things. Not a reference. Eventually. No, not a reference. I got it all. No. I, I don't know Bruno. We, you don't know we don't talk <laughs> about Bruno? Sasha Cohen? <laughs> I know that Corey has heard of that. Sasha we don't, we don't talk about Bruno. It was an Oscar-nominated song. I think it may have... No, it didn't win because we Billy Eilish We turned it to the Oscars wrong. when the punch the James was Bond song. When a slap was unfurled. Yeah. Guys, this is a classic kids song. you got to know about this yeah, stuff. It's, it, yeah. Oh, I'm sure no, there are fathers uh, and uh, mothers that are listening today that are, are nodding with Chad here. Anyway, and I, others who don't know what that was a swing and a miss by me. So anyway, so continue with the tease. Um, they, they're once, instead of looking forward, the, there are some within the NCAA that are throwing out these ideas with regulation to be retroactive. And the headlines read, new NIL guidelines will be retroactive. What it fails to mention is that these guidelines are not in place currently. We're, we're, they're, they're discussing what could be, and they're grasping at straws. We, we will discuss how they let the water out of the bottle, and now they're trying to put the top back on and pointing at everyone who took advantage of a governing body that took a step back. Our, our thoughts on all this next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Now Kick 360 rolls on. I have a, a friend who works downtown in the um, one of the music venues and he sends me this text the guy working at the visitor center just asked me with a straight face if the megadeth lamb of god concert was a christian show (laughs) (laughs) that's tonight in nashville megadeth he's in the uh, book of revelations (laughs) i mean i guess if you the lamb of god part i'd understand if you thought that was gospel like if you're claiming like 
you know, Jesus on the cross was a mega death I, yeah, yeah. and I, Lamb of God. Really I'm trying to, to make the logical bridge that this person crossed yeah, to get to that question. This person's not very smart. Yeah. Um, this person was not uh, Jacob Swanson, our uh, great uh, producer uh, slash engineer slash do-it-all guy who's been with us since day one at OutKick. He's a day one. Um, he went and saw a band called Brian jo- Jonestown Massacre last <laughs> night. Brian Jonestown Massacre. That, that's at Brooklyn Bowl. Um, I, was it great? You get thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs up. No merch. Oh, he's he's giving like thumbs in the middle. It's it was a, exciting. He, said. he gave the gladiator thumbs in the middle. He's not sure. It if was he would his. It was exciting, death. which makes me think the music wasn't great. It was his least favorite Brian Jonestown Massacre <laughs> show, show he's seen yeah. Uh, yeah. of the seven or so that he's seen. It was yeah. really low energy for too that much group. new stuff. Yeah. I didn't play enough of their class. I think they're coming off a of back-to-back, so the energy was low the second night of the back-to-back. Uh, Jacob, no days off. Jacob in a band called Dad's Acid, and uh, that band with the link can be found through our Twitter bio, Outkick360, where you can find us. Um, new NIL guidelines will be retroactive. This is a headline uh, last night, and the main story is through Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated, who points to Colorado AD Rick George, who is among the athletic directors that Dellinger has cited who said that NIL collectives are violating deals by lining up deals for players before they sign with programs, which in the spirit of all this goes against the rules and the framework of name image likeness for players and, and colleges who are told, Hey, you can't pay for play. Well, schools with boosters who have communicated with players before they have signed with programs would be sanctioned under the the guidelines that are being proposed. And those are expected, those guidelines are expected to be published next week. I find it extremely difficult to retroactively go back in a year where the NCAA guys took a step back in June of last year before things went solid in July 1st. And said, "This is up. We're, this is of the conferences and the in, member institutions to to handle how they see fit." And then to less than a year later, put forward guidelines that would be retroactive over the last ten months. Good luck enforcing that. Good luck enforcing that from the enforcers who didn't want to do their job a year ago. The the retroactivity is ridiculous. The one thing that struck me about this as I read about it is I didn't realize there wasn't some sort of obviously necessary tinkering with the rule about boosters not being allowed to be involved in in recruitment because that's very clearly what happens with NIL now is that boosters are involved with recruitment. Now we know boosters have been involved with recruitment forever but it was illegal. The perception here is that NIL created a path to allow boosters to be involved in recruitment by saying, hey, here's what we'll do for you when you get to campus, and that's part of the recruitment, in addition to the coach saying, we want you, come here, and this is what your football life will be, look at our facilities, all of this, then the NIL people say, here's what we'll do for you. That the NCAA, as weak as it may be, didn't change its rule about boosters there to me as powerless as the organization is and I don't think it's got any power to go back and retroactively even without this change of rules 
punish you for it. There does seem to be a little bit of a loophole there where what the NILs went and did violated existing NCAA rules, which was stupid on everybody's front that there wasn't some sort of adjustment made when, like you're saying, Hutton, in June, the world changed. So the, those rules, I think the wording of this is very weird. Uh, retroactively, go back and do it. The rules that they're talking about being broken were in place throughout, and even the other rules when NIL was legalized, again, and I'm going to get into all sides of this, but when NIL was legalized, they still had a rule that came out that said, well, it's for existing student-athletes. You can't lure a recruit in with NIL money. Which is that would Rick be an NCAA Bird, violation. Rick Bird, uh, Rick, Barnes. Bird, Rick Barnes hit yep. with us last week out on the patio. Yep, he said that's not the intent. And he's right. You know, in the beginning, that wasn't what the lawsuit was talking about or, or anything else that went to the Supreme Court. Um, so to say retroactively, what they're saying is they're getting people complaining now to the NCAA saying, go enforce the rules. It's not retroactive. The rules have clearly been broken right. as the rules are written, so go and enforce and them. And these are the people who but haven't been proactive and successful. Uh, let, me, let me get in, though, to, to my stance on this, though, because the wording is weird. I wanted to clear that up on it. But how do you define a booster, okay? Booster is anyone, basically, who uh, is a fan of the university that is given to the university or buys tickets. So the Supreme Court basically said, if you want to bring any more legislation about players being paid from the school or anything else, now's the time to do it. Because it was a nine-to-nothing decision. You know how hard it is to get nine-nothing on, on the Supreme Court on anything? It was unanimous that they deserve every right to make money in name, image, likeness, however they can get it. So do we think that that same Supreme Court that was unanimous on that is going to allow an NCAA, uh, NCAA rule to be in place that restricts the people who can give NIL money to an athlete in any way? Because if you eliminate quote-unquote boosters that own businesses from the NIL pool, you're eliminating 80% of the pool in these towns, Maybe in more. these states. That's going to give money. So you want to fight? I mean, that would be my statement. Like, you really want to get back into this? You're going to come back after the Supreme Court of the United States of America said what they said, and the NCAA is going to say, but we have a rule in place for that, guys. Boosters can't contact athletes or, or recruits. They can't give money. They can't contribute to a collective. They can't be a part of it. Well, good luck. I mean, I just look at this and think, yeah, the rules as they're written are being violated. But I also look at it and say, those rules were thrown into a funeral pyre the moment the Supreme Court ruled what they did. And it doesn't matter anymore because it's going to go into the court system and not one court is going to hold up the fact and say, you know, the NCAA is right. Boosters can't pay. Anyone else can. If you can claim that you're not a fan of this school and take a lie detector test and show that you're not a booster and don't care, then you can give money to that person. Well, I, not gonna, It's not going to hold up. I, I agree with you, generally speaking, but getting into the nuance, it's not about if they can pay, it's about when they can pay. And, and I think Again, the NCAA, if it was a strong body, could, not, you're not going to just take it right back to the Supreme Court, but you could talk to Congress and say, we'd like to create a rule here about now under the permutations of what the Supreme Court told us, create a model for how it will work and, and go from there. But, again, but Paul, they didn't do that. Good, good luck proving it because I don't think there's a lot of just checks being presented to seniors in high school. It's going more like this. Sign here and we have this in line for you. 
once you arrive on campus. So once you sign your scholarship papers, you get here and make this an NIL. Now, there could be some whistleblower that's going to come in and say that. Um, we'll go with the report about the $8 million quarterback, okay? And I'll, I'll do it just as the athletic has done it. They won't name the, the guy, but I think we all have a pretty good idea who they're talking about, the $8 million quarterback. Well, that $8 million quarterback is in the state of California. California is one of the few states that it is completely legal to pay NIL dollars to a high school athlete. That's another level of complication. There is nothing illegal about a collective and a group from a state that is the first state of all 50, by the way, to pass cutting-edge NIL legislation that allows the schools in the state to pay players and to get them NIL money and help facilitate with that for a collective to sign a representation agreement with that person for X amount of dollars with the understanding that when they get to the college of their choice, without it being in writing of where they're going to go, wink, wink, you're going to get this much more money. I don't see anything illegal about that, and there's nothing the NCAA can do about it. I think once upon a time, when the NCAA was a more legitimate organization, and it's always had its fault, but once upon a time it had power, right? It could have got this Supreme Court decision and immediately gone to work on how to shape, well, how to <laughs> shape and control to some degree what was going on. But it was powerless. It didn't have foresight this- like it often doesn't now. And the cat's out of the bag. All the other things did run into action, and it's too late now. Well, but what, what, they, what they're also dealing with is not just the Supreme Court decision. It's also the, the opinion and the concurring opinion that were released through the Supreme Court justices um, that, that really hold a lot of weight moving forward. It, they ruled on compensation through colleges for players. But in the opinion written by the justices, they said, hey, and by the way, um, the rest of the NCAA compensation rules unrelated to education are not at issue here and therefore remain on the books. They then said that they also would come up in serious and create serious questions about the antitrust laws. So the NCAA, under the current bylaws, even what was not ruled on by the Supreme Court, been put on notice. they have been put on notice that they are not above the law and they're likely to get the same result if someone sues for a different reason involving name image likeness outside of education-related payment. They're terrified of it because it was a 9 nothing decision and they know that they're going to lose again based on the current bylaws. So I don't. It, it's not that they they ruled that you know it's it's a wide open market. It's that they were straight up told in a quote from the opinion of one of the justices that the NCAA is not above the law, and that the the issues that still remain on the books raise serious questions under antitrust laws. You can't Meaning do we're this not anymore. we're not ruling on them because it has not been brought in front of the court, but by the way, there's still questions about them that we would have to discuss if it's brought our way. Yeah, I and think if Justice you came Kavanaugh here, you're probably losing. That opinion. They are, uh, they're terrified of it, and that's why when they read through this, they took a step back in June, uh, like the final week in June, the second to final week in June, whenever it was, and said, you guys handle it how you see fit because we can't get sued. We, so how we they, can't lose this. So how do they have the stones now well, to it's do not, this? Because it's they not paused? they. This is no different how I read this. this to me, this is one AD. Rick um, George. 
Yeah, but yeah, he's, Colorado, he's asking for help and yeah. enforcing it. Um, and he's the one that put his name to it. So again, I, I appreciate that. It's not some you know anonymity that's been granted because they're talking you know behind closed doors here. So I appreciate that Rick George is coming out and speaking against it. If in fact he's against it, but I haven't seen a plan that says that their existing bylaws are legal, and I haven't seen anyone step forward that wants to lead them down that path. So all this is is oh look at the SEC and look at the these uh, the conferences or teams USC universities is a big part of this with that Jordan are Madison. able to really cash in right now and meanwhile we're losing players I, I get it it's it it's not great but what tell me what you do in response to it that is within the framework of what the Supreme Court said last yeah, year yeah it's going to lead you back to court uh, and a lower level court or here will have heard what the Supreme Court said and it won't make it that far this time. So Rick George said that he cited that NIL collectives are violating deals by lining up deals for players before they sign with programs. Um, College leaders are proposing retroactive NIL punishments. They're calling for NCAA uh, enforcement to enforce new rules or quote, or else that's from the report here in sports illustrated. Uh, Again, I, I see this and I think, okay, I see some ideas. I see the worry, and I see the or else, and I'm thinking, or else they're not going to. It's not we're we're going to lose the the foothold of what the NCAA currently has across college football, basketball, the whole thing. But I, I don't see any ideas that turn into a framework of a new structure for this moving or forward. Or else, Colorado is going to become even less relevant than it's been. I also see the Big Twelve represented here through Rick George and others. I see ideas coming out of the Big Ten through pa- Ohio State. Pac-12 with Colorado, you mean? Yeah, Pac-12 yeah, right. with Colorado. Um, I see uh, b- b- things with the Big Ten, right? At their, their spring meetings. But then I see, I see the SEC and the Pac-12 commissioner on Capitol Hill yesterday. <laughs> Instead yeah. of out in Arizona where all this information is coming out. Yeah, they're not at the... So you tell the, me who's carrying the weight here and what the two... Struck the two groups are doing in their meetings because one's speaking out on behalf of the NCAA having more power, and I see two commissioners gaining the power. Yeah, on they're not Hill. they're not sitting around the Scottsdale, Arizona Hilton bitching about teams exactly. spending money. They're on Capitol Hill working to find something, some common ground. This was from I mentioned Pat Forty earlier today. This is a text from Pat Forty earlier. Text from someone in the NCAA compliance space on enforcing the collective recruiting tampering landscape. Quote. This is from the NCAA. The student athletes that were getting these alleged offers from these collectives will probably be getting phone calls from enforcement to have a sit down. Their eligibility wouldn't be impacted, but they'll be asked to spill the beans and they would be mandated to cooperate. How is the NCAA going to mandate them to cooperate? No, exactly. I mean, I pick up the phone, answered, hey, it's the NCAA. Did you talk to this collective? Nope. And hang up the phone. I well, mean, what, what, they don't Chad, have subpoena you, power. And, and when, does that, when does that co- phone uh, call take place? Are we, we could be in the year 2040 and still and also, waiting their, on Their this, eligibility the, wouldn't be impacted, right? So then what is the risk? point? What's the point, exactly? And also, if the NCAA was actually going to, oh, you're not talking to us, you're ineligible to play college sports. I mean, give me a break. They'd now, they've, a revolution. Done, they've done some crazy things before that I think there's no way the NCAA would take this public lashing by making this decision, and they still do it. So it would not surprise me if they try to big-time some high school kids that have agreed to some deal into something. But 
I mean, if I'm a parent, a coach, anyone associated with these prospects, I'm telling the NCAA to get lost. I'm not talking to them about anything if they give me a call. Coaches too, right? I mean, to I mean, a degree. Coach, uh, absolutely. Everyone. I mean, that you're not. But based you, on the structure here, the coaches would not have. There should be no paper trail because they're not go, involved with the. It's very yeah, direct with with the. The coaches the can say. I mean, they they are willfully ignorant of the collective. Yeah, you want plausible deniability, so they're not getting into the weeds with these collectives on what they're doing or what they're up to. They allow them to go do their work. They through an intermediary will say hey, this player's really into NIL as opposed to this guy, so let's talk to them because we really want them. You know, give the sign-off on a few prospects they really want or, or transfers, and then the NIL, the NIL goes to work. So the coach could come back to the NCAA, yeah, I'll, I'll sit down for your interview. I don't know anything about it. This player was interested in NIL, that's all I know. But we don't talk about that because we can't. And now, they, they would be telling the truth. Where, where they can move forward, like – there, there needs to be a structure in place where when you sign, there is like a, there is some type of contractual agreement that keeps you there. On the portal, out of the portal. Well, you can go to the portal, but it, there, there needs to be some type of, of penalty where you have to sit out or do something. To, to instead, of, that would keep, or, or you're not allowed as a collective to recruit the, 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 the player who then signs with a different NIL collective. The collective would be the, the NIL group that's representing a certain program. They're, they're, because that, that's where, I mean, if you're an NFL player and you're under contract, you can't just have a, there's a tampering aspect to another team coming in and talking with your agent. Right. Right. So there's. You can't lure me into there, the portal. There needs to be a, a, a structure, a framework there where you can't just sign something and say, oh man, uh, it's been, it's been 34 days and I can get, I can get a hundred dollars more at the other place. So I'm going to go to the other dealership now. Yeah. So there's you some, can't do that. Pre- preventative measure from I say you, you can't, I don't know if you can from being like I, lured into the portal, but I don't know how you, order. I don't know how you stop the collectives moving forward with what is completely legal now in States. What, what we saw governing bodies across the country, Chad mentioned California, but I mean, Alabama quickly uh, came, uh, Tennessee is another one where they quickly came to the, t- I mean, there, there were, it, what's legal now state by state and federally what the Supreme Court is saying. I don't know how the NCAA now says 10, 10 months later, oh, we're going to retroactively go back. No, you're not because your bylaws, they're already telling you without even ruling on it that your bylaws violate antitrust law. There has to be something, though, that's big enough, some threshold on what you're talking about that's big enough that would take us back to you've got to sit out of here. If you, if you want to go, if the collective is pulling you, yeah. if it's not football-related decision, it, it, you, something you, you like that, I mean, I, I honestly, you've got Paul, to sit a year. No, it's not even sit a year. Forget the NCAA. They're not going to be able to do anything on this. These kids want to be grown up and make a lot of money, so they sign a contract. You agree to go to Alabama, and you agree to get paid $400,000 a year, and you're a five-star, great. Sign right here before your scholarship papers. Go ahead. In addition Sign the to contract. And if you want to play some game and not fulfill your obligation and try to leave school or do whatever, you owe us this amount. You're not going to enter the portal and go somewhere else. You owe us this. And guess what? It's for the kid, too. If someone's talking big and offering all this money, they owe you that money if you go to that school. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I'm honestly for more regulation with it where there's actual paperwork 
that follows it where you don't get the kid that's going to continue to hold everyone hostage because, like you said, Hutton, this isn't the NFL. There are no contracts. And it kinda, so you could do whatever you want. Yep. You could get mad six games into a season and put your name in the portal and start collecting checks from five different places and then you know, go back to school. That it kind of cuts that. the school out of the contract business, but it allows for a different layer of corruption when it's not the school, and so it's the collective. And the collective seems like, seem like a bunch of good guys now out for good, but how long before they become an element it's, of corruption because the thing is just bound for it, corruption? It's, it's crazy right now, but I'm telling you, it's going to slow down because this is enormous risk. $8 million for any high school kid is enormous risk. And there are going to be teams that because get the burned. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They're going to come back and say, all right, I got enough money for two guys in this recruiting class. These collectives will. Because they're going to get burned over and over also, again. Also, the thing by we guys. talked about, burned by guys not paying out, burned by the coach sitting that guy because he's not doing what he's expected to do. And the guy who's not making much or anything is out playing him and needs to come in. Yeah, the money just won't always make sense. So it's going, to, it's going to course correct on its own to where what kids are getting paid is going to go down, the amount of kids getting paid, the amount of tampering with NIL money is going to go down. Now, for your top quarterbacks across the country or wide receivers or big, big game defensive end difference makers, yeah, they're going to get paid. And the market for them, it's not going to go anywhere. But there for are, everyone else, it's going to go down. There are, however, multiple tributaries here of unforeseen circumstances that we haven't begun to, to think about because it's so early in the yeah. process. So some of it, you're right, will self-regulate while other stuff pops up that we haven't even contemplated yet. Coming up, former SEC quarterback is now headed out west. We'll tell you where Emory Jones is headed. It's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Emory Jones was a, a, a big debate last year. He started 12 games for the Florida Gators. Outkick 360 rolls on. Anthony Richardson was also very good in a reserve role for Dan Mullen's Gators. They ended up playing both, and we know how that generally works out. It normally doesn't work out for either guy or for the team. And both had their highlight moments of the offense getting going but Emory Jones is transferring he is going to Arizona State and I'll be honest I I'm surprised it took this long for for things to kind of work out in the transfer portal because he's been in it for quite some time this is not like some spring football deal um we, we know we, we knew he was out and he's just now landing in the Pac-12. Well, he's been back and forth, though. It's very weird. Like, he immediately said, I'm out. I'm in the transport. Then he went to talk to the coach. Then he went to talk to the coach, and he's like, okay, I'll come back. And then I think he was around for spring. And did say, and then he kind of came out during this. Okay, now I'm back out in the transfer portal. And then, you know, relatively quickly after that, he goes to Arizona State. Arizona State loses Jaden Daniels, their great quarterback, to LSU. Mm-hmm. And now Arizona State goes in the portal and grabs Florida's uh, former quarterback, by the way, talk, speaking of Arizona State, Anderson, Brian Anderson, I think it is, their AD, 
apparently basically got on a chair in his high horse talking about cheaters at this Pac-12 meeting with everything. Yeah. And there's reports from people in the room that are saying, you just fired eight coaches because of monumental NCAA violations. And do you understand the lack of self-awareness right now when you talk about cheating across college football with what happened with Herm Edwards and his staff? The guy I want to hear talk about cheating at Arizona State is Pete Prisco. <laughs> yes. He is the cheating expert from Ari- the Arizona State, the Sun Devil alum. Our friend. Emeritus cheating expert. From CBS Sports who thinks his alma mater should cheat more in order to win more. There's got to be some big money alums from Arizona State. God, there have to be. There's got to be some big money people that that is an attractive spot if you were started to spend a little cash. I think they don't care players. about football that much. There's got to be, but as long as someone cares, right? Like someone's got to care enough to say, I want a winner and I'm going to deliver a winner to my alma mater. Like Pete Prisco. If Pete Prisco were rich, then he'd be able to fund this project. Their practice field was a dumpy dust bowl. It's better we now. out there. But I, it, I remember watching the behind-the-scenes thing with Herm Edwards and his staff, and they've got better facilities now. I, whenever Emory Jones was like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we'll go through spring, we'll see where we are," that, that is a telltale sign to me that he's either the full-time starter, and if he's not, he's out. And and now we know. Now we know. Arizona State, the Sun Devils, cheat, 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 cheat. cheat, <laughs> cheat. Headlines when we return, and we will discuss Justin Fields and what the Bears are doing around him. New regime in place with general manager and head coach, and a defensive focus before they got there was even more so in the draft.